Hey everyone, welcome to That You May Know Him, a podcast where we are committed to proclaiming biblical truth that helps you know Christ better than ever before. host of the That You May Know Him podcast, and welcome back to Two for Ten, the show where we study the Bible one book at a time, one verse at a time. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where we are going to come to John's description of the risen Christ. That's right. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, praying for the churches, and he heard a voice coming from behind him. A voice that sounded like a trumpet. And when he turned, he saw a number of different things. But the thing that really caught his eye was one like the Son of Man. My friends, the description of the risen Jesus in this book is like nothing you've ever seen or heard. That's what's coming up today on 2 for 10. So let's get it going. Hey guys, real quick before we get started... If you're watching us on YouTube, don't forget to check out our podcast, the That You May Know Him podcast. It's available on every major podcasting app and player. Please check it out. Maybe subscribe. I promise you won't be disappointed. Also, if you're listening to this on our podcast and you have not yet checked us out on YouTube, please do look at our YouTube channel, also called fittingly that you may know him maybe subscribe maybe give this video a like leave us a comment we really do appreciate it also for those of you that don't remember last episode i told you that as we study the book of revelation and as we work through each chapter at the end of each chapter we're going to be sending out additional bible study questions to all of our listeners and viewers who want to receive them these are meant to help you go deeper in your study of book of the book of revelation A lot of the things that'll be in those Bible study questions are stuff that we haven't been able to get to in the 2 for 10 videos. If you want to receive those, simply go to our website, thatyoumayknowhim.com, and sign up to receive updates from our ministry. If you do that, that sign-up link is right on the homepage, by the way. If you do that, you will surely receive Bible study questions as we come to the end of each chapter. That's it. Those are all the plugs we have for today. Now, let's get in. To the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 is the passage that we're going to be looking at today. As you know, I like to give us a, give ourselves a little runway each week. So let's start all the way back in verse 10. We're going to read four verses, 10 through 13. Revelation chapter 1 verses 10 through 13 go like this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. 
and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. My friends, in verses 12 and 13, we really have two important things that we need to cover. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was surely praying for the churches that he pastored in Asia Minor, knowing that they were about to endure great persecution. And he heard a voice coming from behind him, a voice that sounded like a trumpet. It was the voice of the risen Christ. And when he heard this voice, he turned to see what he heard. And the first thing that he saw, according to John, was seven golden lampstands. Then after that, he saw in the midst of the lampstands, standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe. Two things, lampstands and one like a son of man. He started with the lampstands, so that's where we're going to start. Let's get into what this means. It's almost certain that when John talks about the seven golden lampstands, this is a reference to the lampstand that we see, the same type of lampstand that we see all through the Old Testament. It's at least a reverberation or an echo of the lampstand that God originally told Moses and the people of Israel to design craft and place in the tabernacle in front of the Holy of Holies. I'm talking about a passage that comes from Revelation chapter 25 verses 31 through 37. I'm not actually going to read this passage. You can go back and read it for yourself. Again, I'll tell you it's Revelation, I'm sorry, Exodus 25 verses 31 through 37. But in that passage, God gave Moses very specific instructions about how to craft this golden lampstand that would have six branches coming out from it. And then, of course, in the middle, one central stem, which made for a total of seven places that light was emanating from this particular lampstand. It's like a seven-armed lampstand. You may have seen one of these today. These are still found in most Jewish households and synagogues. Lampstands that are designed in this fashion are called menorahs. People, Jewish people still light them at various times throughout the year, especially during times like Passover. But we see these all through the Old Testament. God told Moses initially in Exodus 25 to craft this lampstand, this seven-armed lampstand, and to place it in front of the Holy of Holies in the inner chamber of the tabernacle as sort of a guard before the divine presence. We see the same thing in the book of Kings when King Solomon goes to anoint the newly built temple, the, the house of God, the amazing original temple that David and Solomon put so much time and resources and craftsmanship into building for the people of Israel a house for God where his presence would dwell. As that temple was being consecrated, Solomon made sure that one of these seven-branched, seven-armed lampstands was placed in front of the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. My friends, light, and particularly light that emanates from lampstands, 
represents two things mainly all throughout the Bible. The first we've already covered. It represents the divine presence. Also, when lampstands are equated with people, it represents being illuminated by God. It represents, in some, in some instances, being born again, being saved, becoming a follower of Jesus, being illuminated by the light of God, really coming to know him, coming into relationship with God, coming to faith in God or to faith in Jesus Christ. We see all through the New Testament that when one becomes illuminated, when one comes into right relationship with God through Jesus, there's two things that they're not supposed to let happen. They're not supposed to let their light be covered and they're not supposed to let their light go out. There's all sorts of things in Christianity and Christian culture that, uh, that, that refer to this, right? The song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount how you have to let your light shine before men. Nobody lights a candle or a lamp and covers it under a bushel. Lights are meant to be put in places where they can be seen, where they can give off the most light. You put lights on a hillside so that people see the light. He also talks about the parable of the foolish virgins, which the foolish virgins, maybe more in common lingo, the foolish bridesmaids, which a lot of people struggle with that parable. Jesus tells of 10 bridesmaids that are waiting for the groom to show up. It's this sort of play on Nazarene weddings, Galilean weddings from first century Jewish, specifically specifically Galilean culture, where the bridegroom would, would become engaged to a bride and then he would leave. He would go back to his own hometown for up to a year, build a build an addition onto his father's house and then come back at an unknown time for his bride. And bridesmaids were supposed to wait at night and be awake and be aware, have their lamps lit so that when the bridegroom came and the feast, the wedding celebration started, they would be ready to go in and celebrate with the bride and the bridegroom. Well, Jesus tells a parable of foolish virgins or foolish bridesmaids that don't keep their lamps lit. They let their lights go out while they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. It's an analogy of people who, while they're waiting for the return of Jesus, while all Christians are waiting for Christ to come back to earth, some people, unfortunately, let their light go out. They lose faith in Christ while they're waiting for his return. Don't let that be you. That's the point of the analogy. That's the point of the parable. Don't let your light go out. Don't let your light be covered. And certainly, certainly, certainly don't let it be extinguished. How does this all apply to the book of Revelation? Well, listen, the seven lampstands that we read about in Revelation 1.12 will learn in Revelation 1.20 represent the seven churches that are addressed in this letter, that are named specifically. Those being the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and the churches at Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When a church is established by God, when it is sort of affirmed by Jesus Christ, when it's given his stamp of approval, a local church on earth, they become conveyors of the divine presence. And in fact, 
That's in some way what all churches are meant to be. When we receive Jesus, when we make him our Lord, when we turn from sin and begin to follow him as Lord, Savior, and Master, we become connected to God. And we, in some way, as individuals, have the opportunity to become purveyors of the divine presence. We walk with God. God is in us and amongst us. But this is never seen as vibrantly, as enigmatically, as when the church gathers as one. Because really, there's very, very, very few things about the Christian life that are meant to be done individually. The Christian life is a communal journey. It's something that's meant to be done with other believers. And here, what John is is doing, while Jesus is really the one that's giving him the revelation, is conveying that now the presence of God isn't found in some temple that's being guarded by one lampstand with seven branches. No, in this vision, there are seven lampstands because there are seven churches that are being written to. And those churches, we know when this letter was written, were valid in heaven. They were certified by God as being real local churches that were conveyors of the divine presence. Some of these churches are warned by Jesus that they need to get back in line, that they need to get back on the narrow road and change some things. Otherwise, they might no longer be churches. They might no longer have a lampstand. That's coming up in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But for now, you need to know that these churches and what these lampstands represent are, that chur- are, the, are the fact that churches represent God and His Son, Jesus Christ, on the earth. Churches are meant to be conveyors and purveyors of the presence of God here and now. We are supposed to be communities of people that usher in these glimpses of the kingdom and power and presence of God when we come together for one reason and for one reason only, to lift up the name of Jesus. Okay, that that's the lampstands. Now let's talk about this vision of the Son of Man that John sees in, cha- in verse 13, Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like a Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. I told you already, way back in verse 7, that there is a reference in, the, in verse 7 to Daniel chapter 7. When John says that, behold, Jesus, the Son of Man, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. That's an echo or a reverberation or an allusion to a passage from the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, when Daniel looked into the future and saw one like a Son of Man. It's a very Daniel-esque phrase. Coming and taking his seat next to the throne of God. Well, now John uses the same language to refer to the risen Christ. He is, in fact, the Son of Man. He's the one who will take his seat next to the Ancient of Days. And, in fact, he himself will be described soon in this letter as the Ancient of Days. But for now, we see this, that he is clothed with a long robe and that there is a golden sash around his chest. You know what's interesting about this? The last time that the general public saw Jesus Christ, he was hanging on a cross and he was stark naked. I've never actually personally seen a rendering of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross completely naked, but that's 
what he was. He didn't have a loincloth covering him. He was naked. And he was intentionally and purposefully being humiliated by his executioners. Now, the risen Christ is seen by John in this vision, in this revelation, not as being naked, but as being clothed in a long robe. There's some friendly scholarly debate about how Jesus is being portrayed in Revelation chapter 1. But I'll just tell you this. The two main views are that Jesus is being portrayed as either a high priest or as a Roman judge. Now, there's no doubt that this phrase that's used to describe the garment that Jesus is wearing, he's clothed with a long robe. That phrase long robe in Greek is not found anywhere else in the New Testament, but it is used in the Old Testament to refer to the garments that the high priests wore, as well as the sash that was around his chest. But the thing is, is that high priests were not the only ones that wore long robes and sashes in the Old Testament. Kings also wore long robes. Prophets also tended to wear long robes. Let me tell you what I think is going on in Revelation 1.13 when Jesus' appearance is beginning to be described, especially when it comes to his clothing. I think that God, in his wisdom, is giving a mind picture to everybody who was originally intended to read this letter. And we, living now, about 2,000 years later, can sort of get clued in as to what that mind picture was. I think a Jew living in the first century would have heard this and they would have immediately thought of a high priest, of a prophet or of a king, but probably mostly of a high priest. I think a Gentile reading this, especially in the province of Asia, would have, would have immediately heard it and thought of a judge because this is how judges dressed in the first century. You know what? I think Jesus is meant to look like all these things in this passage. Already in Revelation chapter 1, we've seen Jesus revealed in verse 1 of chapter 1 as a prophet. He's the one that gives the revelation to John concerning the things that will take place. He's literally one that has learned of the future from God the Father and is now revealing it to his followers. We see him portrayed as, described as, rightly, the king of kings. In fact, specifically in 1.5, he's, he's named as the ruler of kings on earth. Now, in chapter 13, he's wearing the garments of a high priest. And we see, in fact, just in the first 13 verses of this book, that Jesus is all of these. He is our high priest. He is our king. And he is the prophet of all prophets. He is truly the last prophet. He is the one who has done the work and who has now revealed to us all the things that will take place in the days leading up to his return. I also think that for a Gentile who would have read this and thought of a Roman judge, they were right to do so because we learn elsewhere in the New Testament and in this book that Jesus is the one who will judge all the people of the earth one day at the resurrection At the last resurrection, Jesus will become the judge of all judges. And he is meant, I believe, very sharply to be portrayed as just that. Jesus is not portrayed anywhere in the book of Revelation as lowly Jesus, meek and mild, as gentle Jesus, as the Jesus who played with children and who, you know, who 
who danced and who sang and who was just kind and gentle. Jesus is that. Jesus is love incarnate. But in this book, he is portrayed as a warrior king, as the judge, as the high priest, as the prophet. Simply put, he's portrayed as someone you do not mess with. He is the ruler of all rulers. He is the king of all kings. And he will come back to judge the living and the dead one day. One more thing. When Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, it gives people a certain mind picture nowadays because we tend to think of a soft and wooly little lamb, a gentle little lamb that your kids could cuddle with as they fall asleep at night. It's probably not actually the best way to understand that word. If you were going to describe it in the way people would understand it today, Jesus is not the Lamb of God. He is the Ram of God. When the lion and the ram come together, the picture is not all that much different. You would put your kids, maybe, to bed with a soft, cuddly little lamb if they were sleeping out in the barn one night. You would not want your kids to be left alone with a maturing two-year-old ram with horns coming out of his head. That's a whole different picture. And that is more like the picture of Jesus Christ that we see all throughout this book. He has authority. And one day, he will wield it fully and completely. For those of us who belong to him now, we submit to it already for our eternal good. My friends, that is all the time we have for today. That was Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where we see the seven golden lampstands that represent the seven churches, the conveyors of God's divine presence here on earth the body of Christ, the people of God, the ones who represent him to the world. And then we see the risen Christ, the Son of Man, dressed like a high priest, like a Roman judge, like the one who will one day exercise full authority on the earth. My friends, Jesus Christ is in fact the ruler of kings, and he is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Until next time. Thank you so much for watching 2 for 10. Stay blessed, live loved, and I will talk to you on the next one that you may know. Know Him podcast is produced by That You May Know Him Ministries, Durham, North Carolina. You can visit our website at thatyoumayknowhim.com. Yeah.